Welcome to How My Country Works with your host, Stephen O'Shea. Next up, located in Southeast Asia with the capital Bandar Seri Begawa and a population of 442,000 and functioning as an absolute monarchy is Brunei. In April 2019, the government of Brunei fully implemented its new Islamic penal code that allows for strict punishments like amputation for thievery and even death for adultery. But despite these measures and its rule by the same monarch since 1967, the small island state remains relatively peaceful and content. That may be in no small result of the fact that, like some of its Middle East contemporaries, it has vast oil wealth and its citizens remain some of the richest in the world. In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the historical and political climate of Brunei, I'm joined on the show by Professor Jason Secheng, who is based in Malaysia but teaches on Brunei and Southeast Asia. Hi Jason, thanks for joining me today. Hi Stephen. Well, we might just dive straight into the history of Brunei. Can you tell me about how the country actually came to be? Well, when you ask how Brunei comes to be, are you, we, we, we can either talk about the ancient Brunei or the modern Brunei. There is a connection between the ancient and, and, and the current one because once upon a time, most of this, uh, there were many, many maritime empires or kingdoms empires. They were not really like kingdoms or southerners or empires in a, in a Western sense. They're more like what you call uh, we call it the mandala system. They don't really have fixed borders. The maps were not drawn with lines. Basically, how much influence you can project sometimes overlaps with the neighboring kingdom. So Brunei is just one of the many, many uh, maritime kingdoms uh, that existed on the island of Borneo. Right, because the country of Brunei actually shares the island of Borneo with Indonesia and Malaysia and is actually split in two by the latter. How is it that this country even came to exist among these bigger neighbors? There were many, many theories about how it came to be. Uh, Chinese sources, they say there was a settlement and they call it a settlement, a town or whatever, probably a, a city state, sort of like Singapore kind of kind of design. And then the, over time, it, it, it grew and it waned because there was, uh, at that time, as far as we can trace, there were two maritime empires throughout its ancient history. There's a Sri Vijaya and then the Majapahit. Sri Vijaya was based in Sumatra, Majapahit was based in Java, and they exerted influence over it. And uh, eventually, the, the Bruneians did actually sort of broke away when this empire sort of waned and, and set up their own little, little kingdom. What they did was they expanded across north and northwestern Borneo. And they didn't expand further south because there was a mountain range on Kalimantan, which makes it difficult to, to administer. I mean, we're talking about... Uh, ancient seafaring kingdom. They're more interested in, in controlling the, the, the coastal areas. And their, their influence actually exp- expanded all the way to the, king, the kingdom of Sulu in, in southern Philippines and sometimes concept contesting them. And some would say all the way up to uh, Luzon or Manila. Interesting. And this is in the 12 and 1300s, so a long, long time ago. But then the kingdom starts to slowly interact with different European powers. How does this go? There were contacts with Europeans, but limited to trade. I mean, the Portuguese were there, keep in mind. Portuguese were, were around the area, then followed by the, the uh, Spanish who arrived from the Philippines. So there were some contacts, but not into a, a sort of a, a stronger, stronger presence until much, much later with James Brooks' arrival. And that's probably the turning point of what, what uh, led to the creation of modern Brunei. 
Right. So having this access to the coast allows them to start trading and developing their wealth and their relative independence. And that's also when you get the establishment of the Islamic Sultanate in the country, which is still in existence to this day. But the country can't fly under the radar for too long, and eventually the British start taking an interest in the country, right? Well, uh, Britain did not have much interest in, in Brunei at first because they were sort of at the edge of the Far East, so to speak. They were more, at that time, we, we know that, you know, Britain was fresh off the conquest of India by throwing off the French, and then they were slowly encroaching towards uh the inland Southeast Asia and naturally to Penang, to Malaya. Brunei wasn't really much on, on, on the radar. Mm. So what changes that? When James Brooke actually, you know, carved, I mean, I use the word carve, a kingdom through, through doing favours for his, for his friend, which is the, the one of the ministers for the Brunei Sultan at the time, and actually got a, rewarded with the territory and sort of, you know, become a little king little kinglet right right and james brooke is the british explorer and kind of soldier of fortune who basically helps the sultan save his kingdom and is rewarded with a huge area of land in brunei that really sparked british interest <laughs> yeah i can imagine that's when trade starts to flow in from britain because well we have somebody who actually works uh, for our benefit in terms of trade you know colonization is is inherently a, a commercial enterprise. Yeah, of course. But why does the ruler of Brunei start letting the British kind of set up shop there? The Sultan of Borneo felt that, you know, it's better to make money than try to administer, hold on to this territory and, and losing people. So it's, it's all about trade relations in Great Britain, you know, and, and it, it worked. And Brunei may not uh, have this grandeur of a huge territory, you know, shrunk, so to speak. But thanks to the British, they became rich, so to speak. You know, they were protected, they were, you know, all that. And the British residence system was introduced, which is basically an advisor who more or less run, run the, the kingdom by, by, by the turn of the century. So it's, it's a gradual process of sort of concessions giving. And um, I would say uh, also looking at the big picture, and the, the sultans of Brunei at the time feel that uh, we, we can't compete with, with this European power. They have the technology, they have the drive, they, they, have, they have, you know, this is a time when technology trumps traditionalism. So this is one, one thing. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense from the sultan's point of view. And so the British kind of dominate Brunei, especially from an external perspective from 1888 to 1963. So almost 100 years. But the discovery of oil really begins to shift this dynamic, right? Brunei is sitting on a, a massive reserve, right? So that that really uh, sort of saved the kingdom from being just an obscure little little uh, nation somewhere in the Far East. So that that re- that really is uh, serendipitous, you know, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And with British engineering, they're able to extract and export the oil and the country begins to become exceedingly wealthy. And because of that, the Sultanate is able to maintain control. Is that right? They try to introduce parliamentary democracy, but it's mostly dominated by one party usually. And the, 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 the Sultan himself is the state, head of state and head of, of government because he himself is all the prime minister. So basically, you know, it may not. It may look like a democracy, 
where everybody can vote for the ministers, where the citizens vote for the ministers, or vote for the members of, of, of parliament. The, the king himself actually has the final say because it, it has been like this for the longest time. They just sort of adopted Westminster style and just modify it. Interesting. And in recent years, he has actually increased his authority by imposing strict Sharia law from 2014, right? In recent years, they, they have sort of included more and more Sharia style laws into it to make it more an Islamic democratic state, if, if, I mean, if there's such a term for it, right? So they they never really veered much from the absolute monarchy, I, I would say, from my observation. They have, they have more or less maintained it because it works. And for a nation that's half a million people, there's no reason to, to sort of rock the boat. I mean, the last, the very last time there was a, a major, uh, sorry, resistance against change was, was in the 60s during the whole debacle about Brunei joining the Federation of Malaysia. But even then, that, that was sort of a more like a resistance towards Malaysia as opposed to the monarchy, you know. So they were, people were happy with, with what it is. So, you know, that's why the, the government's the political system is more or less, on the one hand, it is democratic, democratic but in practice, it's, it is more, uh, sorry, from top down, so to speak. I wouldn't say absolute, but top down, yeah. How fascinating. And this wealth and sense of tradition means that the Sultan actually remains really popular. Well, touching on the focus on the Sultan and Islam in the country, are there any particular celebrations or festivals that are unique to Brunei? They celebrate a lot of the common holidays in, in, for, the, for, for Muslims. Like, you know, the idea, idea Fitri, you know, Ida Alha, uh, they have the Islamic New Year in January. The National Day, uniquely, on, is 20, 23rd February. And uh, they also celebrate the Chinese New Year, which is because there's a significant Chinese population there. What's unique to Brunei is 15 July is the Sultan's birthday. And uh, on 25th August, there's the Borneo Ethnic Culture Festival where they invite people and all that. That's about it, I, I think, in terms of, of uniqueness. Yeah. Interesting. So as you might imagine, the Islamic festivals have a really central role, but there's almost a Southeast Asian influence as well. Thanks so much for that, Jason, and for your time today chatting with us about Brunei. All right. Okay. All right. Take care, Stephen. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end this show. Thanks so much to my guest, Jason. Join us next time where we'll be exploring the Eastern European nation of Bulgaria, which is a member of the European Union, but struggles desperately with corruption. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at HowMyCountryWorks for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know about Brunei or any other country. This podcast is produced by Stephen O'Shea. See you next time and remember to keep asking How My Country Works.